Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series on the Success Insight Podcast. The Outdoor Adventure Series celebrates the individuals and families, businesses, and organizations that seek out and promote the exploration of the great outdoors. Our guest today is Jacob Deutsch. Jacob is an outdoor recreation enthusiast, a freelance writer, and founder of Iron Triangle Writes. Jacob writes professional blog posts, articles, website content, social media content, and product-focused content that will get his clients noticed. Jacob, welcome to the Outdoor Adventure Series on the Success Inside Podcast. Hey, Howard. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to get to see your face again. All right. Yes. And for our listeners, I met Jacob when we were both first-time attendees at the Outdoor Writers Association of America's annual conference, which was in Jake Peak Resort back in the first week in October. So Jacob, it's good to see you again as well. Yeah, I think it's very fitting that both of our Zoom backgrounds just happened to be Vermont foliage. So it works out. <laughs> it, it worked out. I was so incredibly happy to wake up and especially as the sky kind of cleared up a little bit because it was rainy, a little overcast and heaven knows the effort it took to get into <laughs> Burlington the night before I arrived or the night of my arrival, because we actually ended up in Albany, New York. I don't know if I told you that. Oh no! And But to wake up the next morning and see these colors, it was like, oh my God. Now, it's been lovely for us because my fiance and I moved here last year. November 1st. So today's officially my year in Vermont. But last year, foliage came much sooner. And my very, the second day I was in Vermont, there was 40 inches of snow in 24 hours. My town set a new record for most snow recorded in one day. So I had no fall foliage last year. So it's been nice to really get to see it live up to the hype after a full year of living here. Well, Timing is everything, as they say. <laughs> Would you, before we kind of dive in, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I'd love to learn more about your writing and especially your focus as it pertains to the outdoor space. But could you share a little bit of your background with our audience? Because you've actually lived in different parts of the country. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been a bit of a nomad the past couple of years, um, but in a kind of atypical way. Between my fiance and I, we've lived in a collective, I think 16 states in the last five years. I only make up for, I think, seven of those. So not quite as prolific as she is, but we've been all over. We moved to Vermont a year ago, like I said, and are really trying to cement roots somewhere, finally. I made it a whole year without moving to a different state. I think that's the first time since I was 20 that I can say that. So um, that's exciting. And part of what's taken me all over is my work. I've always been a storyteller. I've always been a communicator. My degree is in communication. And at first, that really manifested itself in kind of political communication, nonprofit communication, government communication. And I went where work 
took me. If a political campaign took me to Helena, Montana for three months, cool, awesome, let's do that. My dog loves the car ride, so we'll pack up the car and I'll go do that. I'm now situated here in Vermont and could not be happier to finally be setting down roots in somewhere quite this pretty. You definitely are in a pretty <laughs> state. And I want to hear a little bit more about that decision. I do want to add, you know, for our listeners, I don't think I've ever mentioned this, but I actually grew up in uh, Michigan. And I know mm -hmm. Jacob went to Michigan State University. Right? I went to Eastern. Eastern. The first established University of Higher Learning in the state of Michigan. Eastern Michigan. Okay. The other green one. The other green one. <laughs> And I did notice, now I know this is a truth, so I, I will not have made this mistake. You actually worked in Frankenmuth. I did. I worked for the city of Frankenmuth. Oh, my God. I would like, if I lived in Frankenmuth, I would be having fried chicken dinners every night. <laughs> so it's funny that you say that because I got so tired of chicken dinner in the five months that I worked there. For people who don't know, Frankenmuth is actually the highest density tourist town in the entire state of Michigan, even though it's completely landlocked right in the middle of the state. And it's because it's kind of a drive-by place. It's somewhere you spend a night on your way to your next destination. Also have lots of events, nice central location, but there's two chicken restaurants, Zender's and Bavarian Inn, both owned by different branches of the Zender family. And they both do chicken dinners. One is colonial themed one's Bavarian themed but anytime we had like a formal work event it was always at one of the chicken dinner restaurants and it was so exhausting <laughs> my cholesterol rise so much in those three months because I mean I'm not going to turn down free chicken dinner and get like a salad that'd, that'd be crazy I mean you know I was an intern can't do that no <laughs> have you, to you, take the free chicken dinner when you get it you got to You got to take it. Now, Frankenmuth is also known for uh, its Christmas decorations. Was it Bronner's or? Yep. The largest Christmas store in the world. You will see billboards for Bronner's everywhere between Tampa and Frankenmuth on I-75. I love it. I love it. <laughs> How did you end up in Vermont? Because after visiting Vermont, I here I am in Las Vegas and I'm thinking oh, Vermont wouldn't be a bad place to live, but how did you end up there with your uh, fiance? Yeah. So I've always loved mountains. I have an uncle who grew up. I mean, my, my godfather left landlocked Prairie, Illinois, where I grew up and he grew up and went to the university of Montana. And I spent my entire young life going up there to visit him roughly every other year and just felt deeply in love with mountains and hiking and forest. And honestly, I loved that so much that whenever I got home, I would do the stereotypical, this isn't hiking. Whenever I was in Illinois and like, you know, wouldn't go outside and wouldn't go camping because there wasn't a mountain view, which now I really regret because I depraved myself a lot of great experiences. But when I went to Montana last year for work for a handful of months, um, you know, I was working a political campaign job. They're all time limited. <laughs> you know, November 6 rolls around and you're out of a job. 
Right. And I was looking for what what's next and more importantly, where's next? It was kind of understood that the next move would be where my partner and I would start to establish some roots, at least in the short term. You know, wherever we went next, we wanted to stay for at least three, four years, really get to build some community, test somewhere out in that capacity. And we knew we wanted it to be mountainous, have access to public lands, but Montana's pretty remote. (laughs) We're both from the Midwest and it is either a 16 to 20 hour drive, depending on what part of Montana or Colorado you're in back to our families or a very, very expensive plane ride. Um, So we decided to look Northeast mountains. You know, I'm only two-ish hours from Boston, four hours from New York, despite being in the middle of Green Mountain National Forest. So it means I can find really cheap flights to just about anywhere in the world. I love it. Not too terrible drive time. I love it. I love it. When you were growing up and you spent time in Montana, had you been introduced to the outdoor adventures? I mean, just being in Montana, big sky, hiking, camping, hunting. How did you begin to develop this love appreciation for the outdoors? Honestly, you know, for me, I think it was a bit of ideation of the person who introduced it to me. Um, the uncle that lived in Montana is my favorite uncle. And I have a lot of them. My mom's one of five. My dad's one of 13. Oh, wow. So there's there, there's a lot of them when you put them all together, especially with Marion's. And he's my favorite. And so if he said, hey, when you come out here, I'm going to take you hiking, especially because he was a poor college student at the time. <laughs> You know, I just, I fell in love with it. it. was That's what the cool people do. That's what my cool uncle does. And I also, I think I really romanticized it because it was this thing I only really did every couple of years when I would go visit. You know, we'd go to Glacier, we'd go to Yellowstone, we'd camp, we'd run into moose. Sometimes in the middle of the night when they ransacked our camping area, which my mom wasn't thrilled or about, but Young me was. And Lisa was just a a moose, okay? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, very, very thankful for that. But I think because of that, it got kind of romanticized for me because it was, eh, it was the set thing that I only did when I was in this place with one of my favorite people. And it really took me kind of growing up and coming, going to college in Michigan to kind of rediscover the outdoors as an adult and realize that, okay, this doesn't just have to be a vacation thing that even here in the Midwest, while Michigan definitely has the best outdoor recreation of any Midwest state, this doesn't have to be limited to the West or to the mountains. You can find recreation and make it part of your life where you're at. And my partner and I started camping and hiking and you know, just really incorporating that into our lives. It also helped that then we were poor college students who couldn't afford to do much else than camp and hike. But it's interesting how it evolved just because I really, despite being exposed to it and knowing that I enjoyed it, never sought it out when I was in Illinois because there was this idea that, oh, this doesn't matter. It's not special. It's not 
you know it, it, it's not it's not that it's not that romanticized rose-colored glasses version of hiking and camping and now i'll hike or camp anywhere and put me in the middle of iowa i know iowa has some great state parks i've been wanting to visit i'll 100 do it i'd love that it, it's been interesting to watch it evolve where now just any nature will will make me very very happy that's great when i was in illinois and i spent half my life in the chicago area i I biked a lot, and as I was outdoors, I was in, actually in suburbs that at the time when we biked were cornfields. Now they're suburbs. Mm -hmm. That was the limit of my most of my outdoor activity. I went out to Starved Rock once. Everybody, everybody goes, knows Starved Rock. <laughs> everybody knows Starved Rock. Went out there once, went up near uh, a nuclear plant up on the north east border of illinois and wisconsin but I, it never dawned on me to get outside into nature and go hiking and mm -hmm. it was not until i moved here to las vegas that 30 minutes away is lake mead recreation area 45 minutes to an hour or 45 minutes is red rock and mojave death valley and now it's like god i just want to get outside it's interesting you mentioned that because I think what really reintroduced me to the idea that you can find adventure in nature anywhere was kind of paradoxically my through hike of the New England Trail that I did about a year ago now. Because the New England Trail, unlike, you know, some of the through hiking trails out west, goes right by Hartford, goes right by Springfield. You know, I literally um, hiked on pretty much every Hartford water reserve and treatment land possible because those were the only little pockets of public land that dotted around the city as I had to do a big U around it to get to the other side. But something that trail taught me was that there are just these immense pockets of beauty within 15, 20, sometimes even five minutes of these major metro areas that people don't think of as major outdoor recreation places. In fact, my favorite summit of the entire hike, you had a view of Hartford from the top. And it just completely flipped that switch in my mind where while I still love big wide open spaces like the West has, I'm really excited to do some more of that near urban hiking. And I think there's just a lot more need for people to know about those things. You know, we already know about all the great opportunities there are in Yellowstone and Glacier, and those still deserve their coverage and to be, you know, placed on the pedal stool that they are. But if there's one thing the pandemic taught us, it's that we need to find peace with what we have near us. Yes. And, yes. I, and I think it's so easy to overlook some of the, you know, again, reservoir land that might have a couple beautiful hiking trails on it that are right out of the city that people might not even know a lot of the time do have public access. And that was just such a cool part of that trip and that hike was just seeing how some of my favorite moments were the ones closest to majors, major areas. Very nice. When did your interest in 
the outdoors meet up with your education and interest as a communicator or writer? How'd that come about? It was about a year ago. So very recent, actually. Um, my day jobs have always involved, you know, press releases, blog posts, you know, outward facing communications. That's always been a part of what I've done. And it wasn't till about a year ago when I was gearing up for my through hike that just to kind of help me process all of the thoughts and everything I was planning, I just started writing some, some notes that eventually became blogs. Eventually I started to learn how to pitch ideas and sell pieces and then get commissions and then work with brands and find editors that I like to work with. And it really snowballed really quickly, which has been wonderful, but I never set out to become an outdoor freelance writer. That was never, never the plan. It just kind of happened. <laughs> and, you know, now I wouldn't trade it for the world and I'm excited to, you know, keep going to the OWAA conferences and connecting with the other people in this space. But I think for me, what has kept me coming back and what kept me pushing that ever-growing snowball further down the hill was definitely the fact that there are just some stories that I think need to be told. And there are definitely some people already doing them, but what one voice is doing is even louder and amplified when 20 voices are doing it. And whether it's that idea that I was just talking about, you know, find the public lands and outdoor spaces near you, especially in times when we're seeing national parks being overrun, we need more and more local writers highlighting the local assets their communities have so people can enjoy a camping or backpacking trip near them to take some of the pressure off of the national parks or a topic that I'm very passionate about, which is writing about the need for more extended and plus size outdoor gear. And while I write all kinds of pieces and do some copywriting for businesses, those are really the, you know, the, that's the juice. That's what I'm really, really passionate and what really keeps me excited about continuing to write. It's when I get to write those kind of stories. I would love to chat about the plus size aspect and you and I chat a little bit when we were at the conference and for our listeners I know I've mentioned this before in other outdoor <laughs> adventure series episodes I literally live right above a REI here in Henderson Nevada and only reason I go into REI is for a pair of shoes or a pair of socks because I can't fit in any of their clothing my physique is outside of their demographic and that's okay but we'll talk about that in a second how are you focusing on the local aspects for future writing opportunities what are some of the organizations that you would reach out to or governmental bodies that you would reach out to to pitch these ideas about writing about outdoor recreation that's you know, within, you know, 30 minute drive or, a ten, or 15 miles. How, how do you go about pitching those kinds of ideas? I mean, it, it's really varied. Sometimes I think that's the kind of story I don't even necessarily think I need or always want to get paid for. I'd be just as happy to write a letter to the editor to my local paper and just say, you know, here's some great trail opportunities we have, or 
hey, this trail organization is doing some great stuff. They're only 20 minutes away. You might not know. They just got some new acreage, just installed some new trails, just that kind of free PSA and just having those conversations in your community just really needs to happen. On the business side, it's more so highlighting when those big things happen, when a major trail organization makes a big move. So for example, I I have a piece that I'm in the process of writing about a trail organization near me that just inherited um, a couple hundred acres and has great plans for that. And, you know, that something that both they should do a cool press release about and the local news should cover, but talking about it and doing some reporting for on kind of the, how can this be a model for other agencies is something that I'm working on. But besides that, it just needs to be more of a conversation. I feel like the business side can definitely get in the way of that because, you know, if you're a search engine optimization person, Glacier National Park or Yellowstone are going to get a lot more eyeballs in what you're writing than, you know, the Putney Mountain Association and Wyndham County, Vermont, you know, population 10,000 for the whole county. It's more than that, but anyways, but, and so that definitely gets in the way and it's finding ways to make a small micro story, something that works for everyone by, you know, approaching it as a model for other organizations or recognizing some of the exemplary work they're doing and why people should get involved in that kind of thing. Because the reality is most papers, magazines, you know, blog websites are not going to publish five best small trails in the Putney Mountain Association piece. There's just not going to be enough eyeballs, but there there are ways to highlight that good work. You know, there's an idea that's been, it's definitely in my consciousness because you know, the, this is where the, the OWA conference was like an eye-opener for me, is this topic, If you, as you've just described it, you can focus on the, the written word, you know, the blog or the article, but also to bring those individuals, this association, onto a, a medium, say, like a podcast for an interview. Yeah. And to... And to have them come on you interview them for four or five instances they could be just short podcasts i mean jacob today i was i have a i had a voicemail message and i know they're trying to sell me something which they (laughs) didn't they didn't say it however they offered me a free get this five minute podcast (laughs) i mean you you and i probably spent five minutes just circling each other to figure out, okay, what are we going to talk about today? How are things going? It's been good to see you. We spent five minutes there. So that five minutes is minuscule, but imagine you had 10 or 15 minutes, 20 minutes with this association about their outdoor trails. Now that, and that's something that's powerful that we can then share. You can share on a, you know, on podcast platforms all over the world. Uh, oh yeah, and you know, there's definitely not a, not enough of that happening. There is one podcast I know called The Trail Show. They've been going forever, and I do like that they do have a very small segment about 
where they highlight conservation organizations, whether it's, you know, something big that's doing, you know, ecological work or, you know, a forestry organization or just a little local trail organization. Most of these places are just connected to their audience who go, hey, you should be on this show. And, you know, they get connected and they get a couple of minutes to talk about what they're doing. And I just think that kind of stuff is so fascinating because we never hear about it. It so rarely do we hear about what our land managers are doing, whether it's the BLM, whether it's the park service, whether it's our state trails, or whether it's just the little local trail system, either run by an all volunteer organization or a municipal government. And that, that work really needs to be highlighted because they're doing not only such great public health and recreation work, but really are spearheading a lot of the local conservation work. Because as terrible as it is, our society views things as production-based. Well, what is your value? And trail organizations and land managers are often to save pieces of land by saying this has value. This will bring tourism. This will bring people to eat at your burger joint because they're hungry after their hike. And because they can show that and put a little trail on it, they're able to save that piece of land for posterity, for both the environment and for our enjoyment. And I think that is so cool. And that's definitely something that I'm hoping we, we highlight more. And I, I think there's a movement for it. I, th I think we're getting tired as a outdoor industry of seeing articles about the 10 best hikes in Glacier. Again, I keep picking on Glacier because it's my favorite national park. But, you know, I, I've read 30 of those articles and they're great. And I understand why people write them. And I'm sure I will write one at some point also. But we, we need to have, we need to look beyond that. And I think there's a lot of space for that. I think you are spot on spot on as far as getting out now and in, in the hiking i mean you, you and i we're big guys okay mm -hmm. we're big guys <laughs> and heaven knows i need to get in better shape shape i mean and by the way thank you so much you know for our listeners when we were at this resort jay peak we were in the ho there's a hotel and you go down this road to the golf course that was there and there was a big wedding tent and that's where we had all of our meals and some of the the programming but I, I think Jacob and I walked that at least three times a day and it's like thank god we're walking together because if I was going to pass out at least I know somebody had my back so Jacob thank you <laughs> no absolutely I I think that really just goes to show the fact that you know, there's no consideration of that, right? The conference is beautiful. The resort was beautiful, but there was no, you know, golf cart to take someone up that 200 feet who might not. And, you know, I, I think both that shows the need for more ADA accessible trails, which is a huge movement that's happening. I know of a couple just in my local area, fully ADA accessible trails, you know, half a mile to a mile, wheelchair accessible crutches accessible. And I, I think that is phenomenal. But also just that often the outdoor industry doesn't view people like you and me as its, as its audience, right? The fact that even this conference was set up in a way that could be inaccessible, I think it goes to show that. And like you were saying with REI, 
I also can rarely find bottoms that fit me there. Occasionally I can squeeze into a 38 or 40, which is the top of what they have, depending on the brand, depending on how it fits. Everything's slim fit these days. And my thighs are too powerful for that. That's just not, not happening. But it creates more than just an issue of not being able to find gear or not being feeling represented. Those are two big issues that I feel like a lot of people have talked about. It is hard to feel included and like you matter and like you belong in that space when you go into somewhere like REI and you can't find clothes that fit you. Because if you were a new person to this hobby, to this lifestyle, and you're like, oh, I should go get a pair of hiking pants. You're probably going to REI. That's the place that comes to everybody's mind first. And they just rarely carry anything above a 40 in store. But this also becomes a massive safety issue. When I did my through hike, it was New England in early spring because I knew nothing about New England when I moved here and didn't do enough research. So it was below 30 degrees when I started my through hike. Oh my. Snowed 15 inches one day. And I only brought one pair of pants with me and I did a big rock scramble and tore them disgustingly. Not a nice little along the seam, you know, I can use my sewing kit to get it back together kind of rip. Like there was now a large hole in my pants. Oh my. There was no repair and I didn't have another pair besides my base layer. So, you know, I put my base layer on and hiked in that, which wasn't great because then it got really dirty. But luckily, my very loving <laughs> and wonderful fiance drove down from Vermont and went to every single REI in Connecticut. Now, I think there's only three, not to diminish <laughs> her valiant effort, but it, she had to go to all three before she found a pair of 40 men's hiking pants that would fit me. And if she hadn't been able to, it could have been a major safety issue. And if I didn't have her, I would have had to get off the trail, lift to one REI, and the closest one didn't have them. Then I probably would have been bouncing between the Targets and the Walmarts trying to find something and inevitably would have ended up hiking in a piece of gear that was not meant for the activity that I was putting it through. And just with the temperatures and how wet it was from the constant now it's snowing, now it's 60 degrees and all the snow's melting, so it's super wet. Now it's freezing again at night. If I didn't have technical gear, I could have been setting myself up for a potentially dangerous situation, you know, sleeping at night outside in freezing weather in, you know, waterlogged clothes or not being able to dry off enough after, you know, hiking with that and potentially exposing myself to hypothermia and just a really uncomfortable situation. And the fact that the preeminent gear store that is readily accessible didn't necessarily have something that fit that need for me put me in a potentially dangerous spot. And I'm at the very bottom end of what is often considered plus size for men because I wear a 38, 40, and that tends to be where you know, the imaginary line is drawn. But even with that, I, I couldn't find it. If I wanted to find a pair of ski pants, I highly doubt I could find it at, the, at any of the local ski resorts here. They just don't carry it any of the times I've looked. You know, 
the story brings up two very important points. One is research to know your environment. What am I getting myself into? Mm -hmm. And all it takes is a a small lesson learned. I mean, you I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, you kind you kind of destroyed your pants, but at the end of the day, you made it out. That was a lesson learned. So Jacob Deutsch on the next through hike <laughs> is going to be thoroughly prepared. Two pairs of pants. Two pairs of pants. All right. <laughs> and and the second is to know who the the producers of equipment and clothing that is not only uh, size appropriate or appropriate for your, your body type or, and also appropriate for the, the level of risk you're putting yourself into, that it, is, it, is, it has its known tolerances, that this is acceptable in these circumstances. And, and some people go off and it's like, there was uh, uh, Retha, the young lady that, that did the Appalachian Trail. And yeah. I'm hoping to have her on the podcast soon. As I can imagine somebody starting off like Bill Bryson in the Walk in the Woods. <laughs> you know, I forget what the, his, his friend's name was. You know, start off hiking the Appalachian Trail. And they're probably, maybe he was more uh, prepared than the friend was. But you don't just get started off doing these things unless you do the prep work. Oh yeah. And it, it's frustrating because it's hard to do that prep work and find out what's going to work for you if you can't try things on. Right. And, you know, I, I know, you know, some people might hear what I'm saying about REI not having those and go, well, don't they carry up to 46 or 44 online, which first off still isn't inclusive enough, but also it's so different. There are plenty of pairs of 38s that fit me and plenty of pairs of 42s that are still too small. And the way things sit and fit and, you know, how tight they are in various spots and whether or not they're going to work when you need to do a big rock scramble and spread your legs really far apart are only things you can really tell by actually trying them on. Right. And the fact that that opportunity is just not allowed for that segment of the population is really a massive detriment to their ability to do that proper research and find something that'll really work for them you know in in fairness to our friends at rei <laughs> again i live right above one you know we jacob and i do not mean at least i don't mean i can't speak i'm not gonna speak for jacob we don't mean to be picking on rei uh, there are other it's everyone <laughs> outdoor clothing manufacturers that you know, for whatever reason, maybe their market research has said, you know, something we're going to focus our, our sweet spot, you know, within these, you know, height, weight, tolerances. Are there product producers, especially in clothing that you have found for someone that perhaps is plus size? And by the way, I am bigger than you because I'm like, <laughs> you're, you're rattling <laughs> off your sizes. So I'm thinking darn i want that's where i want to be <laughs> yeah so there is funny enough i'm actually writing an article right now which might be out by the time this is posted in which case we can link to it might not but where i specifically reach out to about a dozen brands 
um, across the industry after hours and hours of research trying to find who had pants that fit this market. And a oftentimes for me in the places that have, you know, small to XL to double XL, I'm always their double XL. So I didn't include any of those brands in the article because, you know, that that's not enough. And really when it came down to it, there's only a small handful of brands that are actually producing pants in the 46 plus range. That's just not really big. The people who are doing it, Columbia has always been doing it. I think they have up to like size 56 on their website, potentially even bigger. They're doing a great job. Duluth, I think does they do. up to 50, maybe I, a little I, more. I And I'm, for our listeners, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not even close to 50. I, I'm in the 44 to 46 range, but I, I buy a lot of my clothes from Duluth because that, yeah. you know, four plus size, that, that would be my go-to. Yeah, no, D Duluth's great. And, and there's a handful of others that are doing it. And it's kind of weird because even some of the small boutique brands are being more accessible than the big brands right now. And a lot of times it's because they'll do customs. And so I've found some success from places like Purple Rain Adventure Skirts, a plug for my favorite piece of outdoor gear, where, you know, it's a hiking skirt or kilt if you want to get the kilt variety. But it's great because the business is still small enough. You know, it's a one woman show where if you reach out and say, hey, I need a, you know, size whatever and whatever length, like you can get that done. And I, I think that is really awesome. But there needs to be more pressure on the entire industry as a whole, because I think, you know, not only was there an existing market for plus size outdoor technical gear, but COVID's only made that market even, you know, grow because more people were getting outside and learning to love the outdoors when they couldn't do anything else. And, you know, luckily there have been some advocates who've done a great job pushing for more. Jenny Brusso, Unlikely Hikers, and all of their advocates have done a great job working with some specific brands like Outdoor Research or Gregory to, you know, unveil some plus size gear launches that have come out or are upcoming, but there's still a lot of work to go. So if anyone listening is working at a gear brand, please <laughs> increase your sizing. There is a market and it's, it's not just an accessibility issue. It's also a safety issue. You know, it's funny as you were sharing your story, I was thinking about my, my backpack slash water bladder holder mm -hmm. and Gregory is actually the one I bought because that's the one that the waist belt fits around my waist. So I yep. have that. And I'm actually thinking there's an opportunity here to, to reach out and see if we can bring these guys onto the podcast and talk about outdoor adventure and what they're doing in the product space. You've given me a great idea, Jacob. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, oh yeah. No. And it, to, to that point, when I did my through hike, I just had a normal, you know, standard size backpack and I got like bruises on my shoulders I couldn't tighten things the right way. The chest strap was too tight. Gave me massive chafing under my armpits. And I, I have a bum shoulder. 
and I, I couldn't reach the hip belt pocket on the right side because it was so far back on my body that like my, my arm with my old rotator cuff injury just like couldn't reliably continuously reach back. So thank God I was able to put my bear spray somewhere else, but actually getting to use a real backpack by Gregory meant for plus size bodies has been such a game changer. Everything fits right. It feels good. You know, I always joke that so many people say they hate hiking because they went on one terrible three, four mile hike where they didn't bring water. They wore jeans, they wore the wrong shoes. You know, while, while hiking seems like the easiest thing, oh, it's just walking. If you don't take some of these things into mind, aren't hydrated, don't bring a snack, you can have a really terrible time <laughs> and be setting yourself up for a lot of discomfort. And it, having gear that is made for your body and just fits right and is meant for the activity you're doing just goes such a long way to eliminate some of that discomfort make you feel like you belong doing what you're doing and not feel like such an imposter and then just get to actually enjoy the outdoors, which is why you're there in the first place. I love it. I love it. Jacob, before we head out today, I am curious one uh, more question. It's a Vermont focused question. (laughs) When you and your fiance go out, where do you two like to go together just to enjoy the, the great outdoors since you've been in Vermont? there's this one shelter it is along the atlt so the appalachian trail and the long trail because they're continuous for about the first third ish of vermont about a hundred something miles there's this one shelter who it's already overrun but i would tell you i just honestly don't remember the name because we never have to look it up anymore oh little rock pond And it is just the most beautiful shelter that I've ever been to. And what's nice for us is it's only about two miles off of the parking lot. And the parking lot's impossible to get to. So there's not many like typical just people there just for one night like we are. But it is just serene. The shelter is really close to the water. And you can just sit and watch the sunset over this little mountain fed pond surrounded by a ring of mountains the water's crystal clear the pond is the water source like that's how nice it is and it is just so peaceful and there's something nice about being able to live here and live close to that where just you know on a friday i can just come home from work and say let's pack the bags and go and we can make it to that trailhead because it's about 40 minutes away and still hike into the shelter before the sun sets and have a nice dinner as the sun sets. And it's just that that's my happy place out here. If I had to pick a nice, serene, relaxed weekend of backpacking, that's where I'm going. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And on our show, we love, especially on our main website, successinsightpodcast.com. And by the way, we're almost finished with rolling off the outdoor adventure series into its own website. So I'm excited about that because it gives going to give us some more flexibility for either of those areas. I'd love to share some pictures. So if you have any images like you and your, your fiance going to the little rock pond shelter, or 
you know, maybe you have a picture that was taken with your uncle in Montana, you know, just, you know, three or four pictures. I would love if you could, you know, share a couple with us that we could put up on our, with our show notes for the episode. A hundred percent. I, I can do that. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Jacob, I, I am confident you and I could have gone on for the podcast. <laughs> and I think I suggested typically our episodes are going to be 20 to 30 minutes where we've exceeded 45 minutes. And <laughs> once I cut out the us and the ums and the you knows of mine and yet a couple, we got a long episode here. So this is good. I suspect you and I could have just continued our conversation here. And maybe we'll get you back on and uh, we can focus on some of these target areas. I would love to do that with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Definitely. And before you let you go, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, where are the best places for them to go? Absolutely. The easiest one would just be to go to my website, which is irontrianglerights.com. And that has links to all my socials, everything else, my published work. So I need to update the published work section, but it, it, it is links to everything and it'll put you in the right direction. Fantastic. Well, we will definitely provide the backlink uh, to the website, irontrianglerights.com. Jacob, thank you so much. Uh, we didn't even get into the Outdoor Writers Association of America. <laughs> so we're definitely going to have you back on, no doubt about that. But it was a pleasure Number one, to meet you there, get to know you, and really just the, your passion about writing and just being in the great outdoors and really sharing your love of Vermont. So totally I'm grateful for that and to being my walking buddy. But also thank you again for joining me on the podcast. And this has been a great episode. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you again for having me. It's a joy as always getting to talk to you and I'm excited to listen to it myself. Fantastic. Well, hang tight. We're just going to do a quick close and we'll come right back. Okay, folks, we have just been chatting with Jacob Deutsch on the Outdoor Adventure Series on the Success Insight podcast. Again, Jacob is a uh, professional freelance writer. He writes blogs, articles, website content, social media. And really, he was very gracious to share kind of how he has been evolving his career to focus more on the the outdoor space, whether it is helping local communities get out and share, you know, what is local in their area, whether it's right around the block, you know, 30 minutes away, 10 miles away, whatever. But around the community, there are places where you can get out either by yourself or with your friends and family and just enjoy the great outdoors. And, and that focus, plus the you know, the, the discussion around the equipment and the the vendors, the product producers that have equipment that is right for not only the folks that are wearing the uh, thin cut, and I have no idea who those people are, I don't even know <laughs> they exist, but also the people who are a little bit more on the plus size. And I will say I am on the plus size, I do need to work out more. So I'm kind of envious of, of Jacob right now, but that's neither here nor there, but really such great information. And just really, I think Jacob's passion about his interest in the outdoors and his writing is it really came uh, to the forefront of the today's discussion on the podcast. Now, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series and check us out on successinsightpodcast.com. You can also find us on our Facebook 
and LinkedIn pages, Success Insight Podcast, as well as the major podcasting platforms, Amazon Music, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Audible, and especially Spotify, where we have all of our library of podcast episodes, but we also have our playlist for the Outdoor Adventure Series. So you can listen to this episode as well as any other. Now, we would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode with Jacob, as well as any of our other episodes. So do please like the episode if on whatever platform you are viewing it on. Give us a comment uh, if you'd like. And also, please do share with your friends and family, because that gets out the great word of the types of interviews we have uh, on the podcast. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day, take care of yourselves, your family, and we will see you on a future episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series on the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.